Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm excited to be back sharing the word this morning. And uh, I'm normally upstairs uh, teaching the youth, uh, grades four to eight. Um, so, but it's great to be here sharing the word this morning. Um, I'd like to start off with a, a quick questionnaire. Um, who here would call themselves a prophet? Anyone? Okay. Who has, while watching a football match or a soccer match or a baseball match, called out a touchdown or a goal or a, uh, uh, a home run and then it to be followed by Sam Bradford or Lionel Messi or Ryan Howard um, to suddenly score? Has anyone, and then for you, to, uh, Brad, there we go, He'd, and then turn to your friend and say, I told you that was going to happen. Um, or, you know, you, uh, you're uh, having a conversation with your wife or, or partner or, or, um, or friend and uh, for, you to, you know, for you to say something that, they, that they, uh, they were thinking. Or to be thinking about someone and for them to suddenly call you out of the blue uh, on, the, on your cell. Are you a prophet? Well, I hate to break it to you, you're not. <laughs> But the good news is, I'm here to say that something is more available to you. Brad has asked me today to talk to you about a subject that has had a profound effect on my life. It's also a subject that's a little bit out there for some of us, um, if not all of us. Brad, over the past weeks, has been uh, talking about experiencing God on more of a deeper level. So I'm here today to talk about prophecy and all it has to offer. Like I said, this subject might be a little crazy or a weird for you because praying for people, letting alone prophesying over people, is sometimes difficult enough. Or even letting someone pray for us and really hearing God's word and voice, for, voice and listening to what he has planned for us and, or wants us to know, well, that's a little bit out of the box. But I'm here to sh- today to talk about and show you that it's not meant to be like that. That God does not want us to feel weirded out, but to really revel in his delight and love for us by telling us how he feels about, about us through prayer and prophecy. Well, you're probably sitting here going, well, that sounds wonderful. But what the heck is prophecy? Well, to put it simply, prophecy is sharing something that God has put in your heart or mind unplanned in the moment with someone else. But as I go through this talk, I will elaborate what it really means and why it is important. But first, it's important to make two distinctions. Firstly, what and how prophecy was used in the Old Testament, and then secondly, how it was used in the New Testament. So first up in the Old Testament, prophecy was used by a select group of people, and these people were called prophets. Now, according to Samuel chapter 9, verse 9, a prophet was, in earlier Israel, commonly called a rower, someone who perceives that which does not lie in the realm of natural sight or hearing. They were also referred to as seers, watchmen, men of God, messengers, and servants of the Lord. So their prophecies had God's authority written all over them. We see in the Old Testament that It has prophets from Nathan, Elijah, Jeremiah, Samuel, Isaiah, Ezekiel. And so what these guys said and prophesied 
was said with the knowledge of God. We are in the season of Christmas, if you hadn't noticed, and uh, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And many, 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 many times did God speak to prophets of the Old Testament where he would send his only son to deliver us from sin. And so the prophets declared this news. And hundreds of years later, this prophecy came to pass. Also, the prophets did not struggle with deciphering what the message was. It was clear as day what was being told to them. However, if these guys did not follow, stay faithful, and stay devoted to God, and not exclaim what God had told them, then there were huge, huge implications and retributions, like in the case of Jonah and the whale. And generally, prophecy in the Old Testament was used to predict or foretell something occurring in the future of a person's life, their destiny, the journey, the path path that they must go on. Now, my talk would not be complete if I did not mention the film Star Wars. (laughs) And this talk is not going to be any different. For anyone who knows me, I'm a huge fan of Star Wars and a bit of a nerd about it. Um, I usually am sporting a Star Wars t-shirt or a sweater. And this Halloween, my family and I dressed up as characters from the original trilogy. Me as Han Solo, my wife Debbie as Leia, and my son Fletcher as Wicket the Ewok. (laughs) Even our two dogs got in in the act. Bruce dressed up as Yoda and Clarence as Darth Vader. Last night, a few of us went to see the movie. It was brilliant. Um, That's all I'm going to say. Don't worry, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone. You know, don't panic. Andrew, I know you're a little bit worried. But um, anyway, so please forgive me while I get my geek on for a moment. Now, a lot of fantasy movies use prophecy as a storytelling device um, to help the start of a journey of a main protagonist of the movie. And now, in the case of Star Wars... There was a prophecy from the Order of the Jedi, a group of peaceful warriors who studied and served and used the mystical energies of the Force and were associated with the light side or good side of the Force. But like all mystical powers, there are people who utilise the dark side of the Force. These people were called the Sith. Now, in the prophecy of the Star Wars saga... Was the, fo- the prophecy was of the Star Wars saga was the following. In the time of greatest despair, a child shall be born who will destroy the Sith and bring balance to the Force. Now, in the movies, this chosen one is discovered and you f- follow him and see if he fulfills his prophecy. Another example is Harry Potter. Yeah, and in this series, is, it's a world that's based upon the existence of magic. The majority of wizards practice good magic. But like in Star Wars, there are a group of wizards who practice the dark arts of magic. Now, in the books, a prophecy is given about a boy who vanquishes the leader of the ones who practice the dark arts, and he is called Lord Voldemort. Now, it's as follows. The one with the power to vanquish the dark lord approaches, born to those who have thrice defied him. Born as the seven months dies, and the dark lord will mark him as an equal. But he will have the power of the dark lord have the power the Dark Lord knows not. And either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord will be born as the seven months dies. Again, these stories follow the journey of Harry Potter as he battles the Lord, uh, evil Lord Voldemort. As you can see, in science fiction, 
Prophecies are tools to foretell something that is yet to happen. It also sets up a character arc. Have you noticed how similar it is to the use of prophecy in the Old Testament? How George Lucas and J.K. Rowling used prophecy in their stories to show and propel the characters forward to develop. There was some motivation behind it to see if, prophecy, to see if the prophecy was right and to be fulfilled. However, oh, sorry, now I will remove my geek hat. However, by the time of the New Testament, prophecy became something very different, something more available to your eye. Peter, in his talk at Pentecost in Acts 2, where he cites Joel's prophecy, and in the last days, God says that I will pour out my spirit on all people, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams, even on, even on my servants. Both men and women, I will pour out spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Peter here is saying something radically new, something so different that is happening, and it isn't restricted to a select few. But the difference is that where the prophets like Samuel and Isaiah spoke directly from God with his authorities, and the penalties were major, when we prophesy, it's imperfect. It's not necessarily going to be right. And so if we choose to ignore it, we only miss out on what God has in store for us. Today, prophecy is available to all. It's imperfect, but it's a gift. So if this is the case, why do we prophesy and why is it so important? Someone who spoke about prophecy and the importance of it was Paul. He spoke about prophecy many, many, many times. In his writings, and I'm going to be looking at two scriptures in particular to help me show the importance and the function of prophecy. The first is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. But the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So Paul says that prophecy can strengthen, encourage, and comfort the people around you. So when we speak to God directly and hear back to him, or back from him, it is going to be firstly directed at us, and then it meets the three needs that, feed, that the human heart needs to function. These words will fortify us, give us nourishment, and we're going to come away feeling emboldened by what has been said. Prophecy is designed to bring out the best in people. The Christian faith is unique, that we really want to dig down in people's lives and to the root of things. So that they can draw out the best in people, really seek people's treasures, their gifts, and so they can use them to glorify God, not hide them away like a little secret. Now, in terms of comfort, if somebody comes forward for prayer, for comfort, to help with struggles in their life, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit for the answer to the struggle, to help them not feel judged, but to feel God's grace and to help them in their situation and break the bondage of judgment and guilt. Now, when I was living back in London, uh, I, the church I attended ran a fantastic course called Eye Training. And it was a course that was designed to train you in leadership um, and uh, pre prepare you for the skills in that, whatever ministry you, you wanted to choose in. And in my case, I was working with the youth. And each week we would have a lecture from a, a guest speaker who would talk on some aspects of the church life and, and, and how to lead it. And there was about 12 of us in the group 
And most weeks, we would make some time after the session to pray for each other and give words of encouragement from God. And um, after one particularly amazing session, um, well, actually, I'll, I'll just say this. When I first started, I'd never heard God in any shape or form, or at least was at least conscious of it. But as the weeks went by, I really opened myself up. I really received some really powerful words that spoke to me and gave me comfort and peace. To give you an idea, I'm a DJ, and when I was DJing in London, uh, all, in clubs all over the place, I was really struggling for working for a club at a time that I was resident of. Um, the promoters were not nice people, um, taking advantage of me all the time, and I'd been working for them for such a long time for very little. But they were always... Um, um, but my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, Debbie, um, didn't understand how I put up with them and was always encouraging me to leave. But I felt I was not really worth it. I felt beholden to the promoters because they had given me my DJ break and were still employing me. So anyway, after one incredible session as a guest, um, by a guest speaker, we started to have a time of ministry and really seek God's word and hear what he had to say to us. And one of my fellow eye trainers, as we called ourselves, came over and laid hands on me and basically started saying things that started really speaking into my situation. Now, he didn't know anything about my situation. He didn't have a clue. And he started giving me this picture of me just standing outside this cave, this very dark cave. Um, and inside this cave were ogres and trolls. And nearby was this huge bright field filled to the brim of people dancing. And in between the cave and the field stood a turnstile. And then my fellow students said that I was the person standing outside that cave. I wanted to join the others in that field, but I didn't go because I didn't have the correct change to pass through the turnstile. I felt I could not go. So he prayed to help, for, for God to help me in that situation, to find the correct change to be bold, to walk away from that cave and into that field. And at that moment, I instantly felt a change in my being. I felt so overwhelmed by the love of God that I felt a strength that I hadn't felt before. I came out of the ministry feeling like I had a free pass to go through any turnstile, a bit like somebody giving me a scepter pass. Eric, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, but... Oh, and another incredible thing, a few months later, within months in fact, I had left working for those promoters that I was DJing for, and was now DJing in a huge club in London, and working for people who really respected me for me and my worth. Now, a side note I want to add, that even though God had delivered me and put me in a better place and a much happier situation, this could have easily filled my ego to the size of a balloon. You know, made me slip in back into my old ways of thinking that I was somebody better than I really was. But what it actually did was the reverse. It made me humble and full of grace. God's grace humbled me because he did it without shaming me. He elevated me without inflating me. That's the idea about receiving the word from God for others to hear on an individual level. Paul also goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4 and 5. Anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies 
is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, please ignore anything that mentions speaking in tongues. I'm not speaking about that today. I think that's another talk. And so I really want to focus on the verse where it says, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Edification means to build up, to strengthen. So when we seek and hear and speak God's word on a more personal level, it has an outward spiral. You know, it has an effect on other members of the church. It creates unity, um, trust, and a cohesion. Now, like I said, I'm a huge soccer fan. Um, I support Liverpool Football Club. Um, They're a team in the English Premier League. And for many years, during the 70s and 80s, they were a mighty, unbeatable team in England and in Europe. No one could touch us. And then slowly into the 90s and the noughties, we slipped into a period of meh. Um, We're okay, but we haven't won the league since 1990. Not since I was 13 years old. Um, have we done so? However, we have just acquired a new manager. His name is Jürgen Klopp. And he is from Germany. And he's an absolute character, full of charm and guile and wonderful sound bites. Um, some of you should maybe YouTube him, because uh, some of his clip post-match interviews are hilarious. Um, but he inherited a team. I say team. It was more of a team of individuals, not playing as a cohesive unit. And the fans, who were famous... I mean, and I'm talking famous because they had a huge stand called The Cop where they would sing and chant songs, um, were very passionate, had also lost hope. The manager had huge success with his previous team, building them up from a bunch of no-hopers and also rounds into a formidable soccer squad. So when he joined Liverpool, the press went nuts, thinking that he would be the saviour of the Liverpool Football Club, bringing them a league title in 25 years. Now... There are some managers who would believe this hype and call themselves the special one. He actually quite jokingly called himself the normal one. Soccer has become driven by money and trying to fix things by throwing money at it, you know, just by bringing new players in to you know, fix what's broken. But Klopp is different. He wants to work with a team that he inherited to give it a chance to build the young players. He takes equal responsibility when a player makes, makes a mistake. But he did one incredible thing last Saturday when I was watching the game that really caught me up, my eye. Liverpool had just scrapped a last-minute goal to draw a game they nearly lost and didn't really deserve to win. But instead of walking off the pitch to talk to the press, he collected his players all together onto the field and made them salute the fans who had cheered them on. Something you normally do when you win a trophy, not when you draw a boring game you nearly lost. Now, he did this because he wanted to build and strengthen the club as a whole. He knows he needs the fans behind him. And the fans responded in kind by raising the roof of the stadium by singing and chanting songs. He knows he needs the team. And so they were obviously a little bit sheepish about the result. And, you know, heads were down. But when they saw the effect of them, you know, saluting the fans, it really changed their dynamic. Their gesture, their whole body language changed. So this gesture incorporated all that together. And so the whole club became stronger in their belief that the club can become great again. Hearing and communicating God's word is a gesture that builds the church. 
Everyone sees it, soaks it up. Some of you are in small groups. I'm in one. And uh, we, con- we as a group constantly pray and pray for each other. We email each other uh, when we need prayer and support and give words, of, um, give words to each other if, you know, if God has put it on our hearts. And we have become a great little unit. I think everyone who is in a small group can attest to that. And this is because we share and speak God's word. So I want you to really to want to encourage you really to start listening to God today and going on with it because you'll notice such a difference, not only in your life, but in those you pray with. Now, some of you might be sitting here going, well, I'm just starting out on my journey with Christ. Who am I to hear God's voice and speak it? Well, God has given us many gifts to use in direct interaction with him. We didn't earn prophecy. It was a gift. We received it because we asked for it. It's always available to us, no matter where we are on our spiritual journey. And I want to make it abundantly clear that even if you're starting out, we are all qualified to do this. The gifts of the Spirit do not validate our walk with God. It's the fruit of the Spirit what the gift presents that develops and matures as we walk with Christ and keep practicing these gifts. So let's get down to the nitty-gritty. How do we hear what God is saying to us? Well, the second scripture I mentioned that will help us with this is Paul's first letter to Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse, uh, verse 19 through to 22. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but, hold, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Paul is telling us, don't suppress the Holy Spirit. We can't ignore someone who is trying to speak to us constantly. Like when we pray to God, he's always listening to us. The same can be said for him, speaking to us. He is always, always speaking to us. So anyone in a long, healthy marriage will tell you one important thing that is key to a healthy and successful marriage, and that is communication. A healthy relationship has good communication. If we ignore our problems and stop speaking to our loved ones, then the relationship becomes stale, it wilts and dies. The same is our relationship with God. It's a two-way thing. It's not just us on a one-way call unloading on him. So we can't ignore what God is telling us or just dismiss it because it doesn't make sense or initially fits what's going on with us. Now, I have a 16-month-old son, Fletcher. You've probably seen him running up and down the aisles in worship. Um, He's a real character and brings me so much joy. And part of his development is trying to get him to eat a variety of foods. You know, we try and give him all sorts of stuff and generally he'll dismiss most of them. Although he loves fish nuggets, chicken nuggets... In fact, anything nugget-like. <laughs> he loves pasta, cheese, you know, yogurt. But put anything green near him, it will end up on the floor with the dogs. And he looks at food before he tries it. And if it doesn't look right, then on the floor it goes. We as parents know that veggies are good for him. He doesn't. He has a basic grasp of it. This is what Paul is saying that we should be like with hearing from God. We can't dismiss it like a Brussels sprout or a piece of kale. These things are good for us. Like I said, they nourish us, they sustain us, 
And so Fletcher and his food training, we don't give up just because he's shown he doesn't want it, but we don't force it on him. We just gently keep encouraging him to try it. And if he rejects it, fine. But we don't give up until he tries it to make up his mind. Test them all. Hold on to what is good. I said earlier in my talk that hearing from God is imperfect. We're prophets of the Old Testament. It was clear and not uncertain what God was saying. Now, hearing from God, for now us hearing from God, it's not clear. It can be muddled. Now, this is not because God is speaking to us imperfectly. It's because we hear him imperfectly. When I first moved to Philly, I thought I'd have no problem communicating with you American folk. We all mostly speak English, and so no problem. And I soon realized that this was not the case. I had to soon very learn a different dialect in order to understand what people were saying. I also had to learn to change what I, had to, what I said to make myself understood. I mean, what the heck is a jaw? And, you know, I tore my pants does not mean I tore my underwear. Or a biscuit is not the same as a cookie. Um, my mind boggled. But over the five years of being here, I actually started to understand you guys. Although I have to say, there is an H in herb. But seriously, that's how we get better at hearing from God and knowing what is of him and not something else. Now, I want to leave you with some ways of, of hearing from God. Firstly, we're all very different, and God uses those different ways to speak to us. Generally, God will speak to us in one predominant way. Because I love music, I work in music, and respond to music, I find that I hear God particularly well through music. Not particularly worship music, but all kinds of genres of music. That's when I'm hearing him. But I'm also open to, to other ways. Now, examples of hearing God are, could be through pictures or images or visions when we're praying, scripture that will speak into the situation, a phrase that pops into your head, impressions, you know, just a sense of that situation, dreams, emotions, you know, an overwhelming sense of something that you wouldn't expect to suddenly happen, smells, even tastes. So a big question you're probably wondering right now is, how do I know what I have experienced is from God? The plain and simple answer is, you don't. Thank you, good night. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to leave you like hanging there. Um, God talked to us in a small voice. It's being described like a whisper. In 1 Kings chapter 19, 11 to 13, the Lord said, Go stand out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains apart, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind there was an earthquake. And after the wind there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. This whisper will feel like an internal sense of something. But it isn't clear why. It's imperative to try and test everything. Now, here at Mosaic, our aim is to create a safe place to do this. 
you know, for people to feel secure in practicing using this gift. When we practice, we are bound to make mistakes. So when the person doing the communicating can feel at ease knowing that they're not going to get it right sometimes, and everyone in the place, in this church, knows that. I can't tell you how many times it's happened to me getting it wrong. But I've had the faith to say it because everyone was on my side. And that's the way, because of the way we do it here. It has not kept me off, you know, put me off from keep going. You know, if the word is strengthening, comforting or encouraging, go for it. Give it a shot. The other thing we want to do here is, you know, make it comfortable for the person receiving the word that there is no judgment. If they choose to ignore the word or not, they don't have to take it in because they might be wrong. And this is why we test everything. Like all gifts of the Spirit, we can only get better with something with practice. The more we step out with, in faith, we gain experience and in turn get better at being able to discern God's voice. You cannot grow in the gifts of the Spirit without making mistakes. And that is why you're not penalized. When we do it and practice it, the rewards are so great. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much for just the amazing gifts that you have presented us to, to be able to communicate with you. That we know that you are constantly there for when we talk to you. For when we you know, just lift up our problems to you, Lord that you are there just listening, taking it all in, Lord. And so we just now ask that you open our hearts, Lord. You open our ears. You open our minds so that we can just receive you, Lord, and what you have to say to us, Lord, that we can just start really receiving and just giving these gifts that you have have given us, Lord, that when we want to minister to other people, that we hear your voice in such a clear way, but we should not feel condemnation if we get it wrong, Lord. We know that you love us. And just put that on our hearts, Lord, as we do these things, Lord, as we seek to really comfort those who need it, to build up those who need it, to encourage those who need it. And that as a church, we become so much stronger because of it. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.